What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Try to keep an eye on it. Eyeball. You're an eyeball. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I actually just watched the new Mortal Kombat. Y'all ready for this? The other day. Last night, I Mortal guess. Mortal Kombat. Flying out of Nashville. Nice. This is actually completely different than I expected it to be. I was actually surprised. I always wanted to be Baraka. Baraka was a savage. Yeah. That was kind of my guy. Raiden was my guy. Raiden Ra- was good. Raiden and Scorpion were my favorites. I was always a Baraka fan. Yeah. What about you? What about you, Justin? I know nothing about it. I'm thinking someone uh, maybe spewed in the bathroom up here. <laughs> Are they we going got the uh, cleaning, cleaning crew on aisle four coming in. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a little funky. Well, hello, honey. Can you guys hear me all right? Because I'm, I'm coming in and out. Yeah. I think you changed over on inputs and popped that little dial over again. No, it's it's popped. I turned you down a little bit because you kept peeking out. Oh. I, I, just, I just can't hear myself talk, which is okay. That's probably a good thing. Really? I can hear you. Well, then be yet when they be doing all this and all that <laughs> did you hit the record button yeah a little Atta bit boy. A little <laughs> i'm gonna have to test your editing skills brother <laughs> that was good so lucas man we're on a plane I don't know. How many hours into the plane ride? I'm leaving on a jet plane. I don't know if I'll be back again. So, yeah, we are on TK-10, Turkish Airlines. Yeah. We're looking at, we're flying over Regina right now. (laughs) Canada. We are, like, just on the border of Canada and, and, and Montana. Yeah. And we are we are rolling northeast right now. We're making a, a big horseshoe, and we're gonna fly right over Afghanistan where there's a no-fly zone right now. <laughs> we're gonna go right into Kabul. We're gonna do work. Hey, dude, I'm ready for it. Sign <laughs> me the fuck. Uh, do you know how many people were like, I don't know how you're keen to be going to the Middle East right now with everything that's going on out there. Aren't you worried for your life? You know. I had a lot of people asking me that, you know, why are you going there? And, and I, this was my, my analogy was like, if there was a war going on in the States when I was in Canada, I'd have never known it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's that far removed when you really think about where we're going in Kyrgyzstan, you know, we're going to, we're going to land in Bishkek, which is the capital of Kyrgyzstan. It's in the North central part of the country. And then we're going to, Paul, you know what, 12 hours south into the heart of the country. Yeah. I mean, there's still Tajikistan between us and Afghanistan. You got Pakistan, you got Kazakhstan. 
you know. You I got mean, all of the stands. There, there could be a war happening in New York City, and I'd feel safe in Montana, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it's kind of that same feeling. Exactly. So, you know, and I mean, look at this plane right now. It's full of people. Yeah. People are not scared to go over there, you know. Well, uh, everybody's going to Istanbul. We don't know how many people are going to Kurdistan. That's true. We might be the only ones on the flight. Yeah. Why would you go to Turkey, though? Like, come on. Okay, they got Ibex in Turkey. Dude, I don't know, man. I've heard a lot of cool things. Like, they got Beezer, Ibex, and Turkey. It's supposed to be a pretty great place. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got uh, roughly, I think, what, 10 hours ahead of us? Yeah, I think somewhere around there. Nine hours and 42 minutes. So... This is going to be a longer podcast than Joe Rogan's. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself. <laughs> oh, Saskatchewan. How do you feel about it? About the podcast no, or about, about the flight? About Saskatchewan. Well, I grew up just south of Saskatchewan, right on the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. <laughs> and uh, I've seen a lot of big deer come off the border into Montana from up there. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. That's all you got to say. I ain't giving coordinates. I ain't giving in-reach coordinates. Can I'm you just, just drop say. me a pen on my whatever app that I use? And yeah. then, you know, just just send me some pens. Just Google Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I got you. I got, I got it. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's good no, look, I got you. That's good looking out. That's good. I'll that's, help you out. That's good moves. You know, it's interesting when you get on a flight, Turkish Airlines flight, which we're on, and they spell California with a K. <laughs> it's like spelling cauliflower with a K. It's just not right. It's like sacrilege. Yeah, but I mean, it kind of is right, though. Minneapolis. I once knew a girl. She lived in Minneapolis. I'll stop right there before I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Okay, we should probably get a little serious. No, I mean, who knows if we should. <laughs> we got to have some fun. I mean, we're going to be spending the next 11 days next to each other. Popping zits off each other's back. Oh, God. That's nice. Eating diarrhea's in a bag, blowing, just defacing mountains together. It's just going to be an epic experience. Well, man, that line to get in the bathroom after they served up that fish on this flight, that was, I mean, on both sides of the aisle, that was an epic line. Yeah, the pr- the problem with good seats we have is that they're close to the bathroom. Hey, but the positive is that yeah, I mean we could stretch out, lay across the floor in front of our seats. And well, they knock the lights out. Go to Winnipeg. Any one of us could probably hop down here and take a little siesta if we needed to. But yeah, no, we got some great seats. I mean, the only lights are the lights on above your seat. That Why you is turn- my light on? <laughs> you turned that on fucking hours ago. There. Hello. Turn the lights, turn the lights Dude, down low. I'm, I'm not kidding. If you look around, you had the only light on on the whole place. Well, I mean, Jesus always had a light on, right? <laughs> I mean, come on here. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. So on an even more serious note, we got the three amigos <laughs> heading... Northwest, as you can see on the compass. I mean, we're going way up. And we are rolling hot in Istanbul, Turkey tonight. Yeah. We'll actually be there tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. It's actually, we're going to be there tomorrow afternoon because it's 11 hours ahead. Well, it's 7 to 8 a.m. right there. Right yeah. now. It was 8.06. Yeah, so it'll be like 5 o'clock when we get there tomorrow. Yeah. 
So it's like a whole 24 hours, although the flight is only like 12 or 13, we go another 11 ahead, that's 24 hours. So we're basically going a full day ahead by tomorrow. And then we've got another short, about five hour flight after a two hour connection. It's 24 hours portal to portal, or 26 hours portal to portal on this flight. And, uh, and you know. And then 13 to get, hours of driving. Yeah, I mean, to get to these places, you know, it, the places that we go and do this stuff, it requires a lot of logistics to get this done. It really and, does, man. I, and, a, and a big thanks to you. I mean, you know, I know you handled a lot on that end of this whole excursion that we're going on because you've been on a number of it, uh, international hunts. So, Well, and it, it's fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love to hunt the West, right? We, yeah. We're all California boys. We love to hunt Cali. But doing trips like this, to me, it's it's the cultures, meeting the people, yeah. eating their food, sharing stories with them. I mean, we're going to be with guys that aren't going to be able to speak very good English, you know. We're, but, I mean, that's part of the experience, I'm, right? I'm, that's why you go. I'm really interested to see what they think of a flip-flop. Well, that's going to be, that, that's going to blow their mind, I think. I hope so. Quite honestly. I, I hope that we're able to pull it off and, and doing one there. That's going to be pretty fucking epic. No, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. You got sauce, right? Oh, I got plenty of sauce. <laughs> that a boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got sauce, but it ain't in a bottle. <laughs> yeah. Your last 15 days. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty backed up. How you feeling about that? Well... I'm feeling better now that I'm on the plane with you guys and we're rolling, but, yeah. you know, I've had a bit of an interesting go since I'll just backtrack a few days. I spent... Backtrack to when you first called me and found out you were going, because you called me in August with the intention yeah. that you're going in August. Yeah. So... It, it happened It happened quick. Yeah, and I when I... When I found out that the border was opening, and it was August 9th, um, I had like three or four people call me and they're like, hey, are you going to go on your hunt? And I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know if I can pull it off. You know, we had this. You know, and when you when you plan a sheep hunt, it you plan it. It's, it's a couple-year process, right? I mean, it unless you draw the tag and you got six months to do it, that's one thing. But... When you do a hunt like that, it, it's it's a lot of planning. It's like and two, you know, two or three years, booking been, and everything. It's all that. It's been all of that. And when my outfitter called me and he goes, hey, I need to get you here, you know, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to hunt you next year. I, I don't know if I can roll your dates, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I talked to you. I talked to a lot of people, and they're like, you'd be a fool not going, you know. you got to go. So I saddled up the pony, and I got all my gear together. And in short order, um, within three weeks turnaround from the time I got the phone call, I was getting ready to get on an airplane and, and head to northern BC. Um, unbeknownst to me, flying Air Canada, which was the only way f to get there from California, the only other thing I could have done, and when I talked to Brendan, he's like, we're driving to Calgary and we're, dri we're taking Air North. If I was in Montana, that's exactly what I would have done, yeah. hindsight. but. I couldn't get there any other way. I took Air Canada, flew from L.A. to Vancouver. Everything was great. I was on cloud nine. I was just super excited, pumped. 
fly from fly from Vancouver and I land in Whitehorse. And when I get to Whitehorse, I realize that after the baggage claim comes through, one of my bags with 75% of my gear doesn't show up. So that kind of starts the, uh, I would say, starts the snowball, if you will. Yeah. And um, so a sleepless night, I get a call from my outfitter the next morning. He goes, because uh, I emailed him that night, he goes, well, what was in that bag? And, of course, I start going down the list. And he goes, I got that. We can do that. We can do that. We can do that. You know, it's like, but I had, you know, a Storm Star tent, two-person, pretty light. I had a 15-degree bag, pound and a half. I had um, my sleeping pad, Thermarest, pound and a half, right? So I'm, I'm at 67 to 68 pounds of my pack going there yeah. with food, everything. I show up and they start handing me this marmot tent and this minus 20 degree sleeping bag from North Face that weighs four and a half. I mean, my pack went from 68 pounds to almost like 77 pounds just by the gear they were giving me. Yeah, just with a couple of items. Too. Just Shit. a couple of items. And so here I'm just like, you know, and I'm freaking out now. The one thing that did make it was my bow and my camo and my case and that stuff. but. All of my other stuff just didn't make it in that bag, so I had to, I had to, again, I had to get all the food scenarios set up, and so it just, again, when you plan a trip like that, you've got all your ducks in a row, you got everything that you know, what you want, where you want it, and then you show up and it's like, oh, by the way, um, no, you're not going to have any of this stuff. Yeah. And probably the biggest mistake I made, and it's, I, I've done enough of these hunts to know better. When I got to Vancouver. I had to take my bags and go recheck everything because of COVID, and I had to get tested again. I got tested six times in a matter of 13 days, by the way. Did your nose feel violated? Oh, God. How's my back of my throat does. It's raw, huh? They're like, they're like, yeah. They're Just like, grinding you out. I think out they're seeing if raw. you actually have a brain or not. They're like, why are you getting tested, you idiot? Um, Anyway, so, um, yeah, so when I got to Vancouver, I had to grab my bags, so I had my bags. I had my bow case, I had my big taku bag, I'm like, okay, I got my gear, got COVID tested, went through customs, did the whole deal, and what I did is I took my boots off, and I put on my lazy shoes, because I'm like, okay, I'm through, I put my boots in that big bag, and guess what happened? That bag didn't show up, so I had to use probably a mid-90s pair of Scarpas, that the, all the heels were blown out of them. Right. They were hard as a rock. They had no insoles. Those are the only boots they had in camp that they could lend me. So I'm getting ready to go do, in my opinion, what's a hunt of a lifetime for me. With it's a hunt of, of a lifetime for anybody. Dude. Yeah. You're going stone sheep hunting, period. Yeah. And, uh, That's a dream hunt. None of my gear, most of none of my gear, and, and didn't even have my own boots. So... Um, so we get to we get to we get to the outfitter's place and we get all the gear and for the sake of this podcast, most probably know who I went with, but I'm, I'm going to leave names out. Um, we got to the we got to their camp and uh, got all the gear, got the food stuff scenario set up, and loaded us in the Beaver and, and myself and our packer and my guide went and our outfitter took us and dropped us into a lake at the south end of their his territory. He's got 4,000 square miles of, of concession in northern BC. Yeah. That's a lot of land. It's a lot of land. Right? I mean, he probably hasn't seen all of it in his life. Yeah. 
and we were getting to talking and I said, well, you know, just general, I'm kind of one of those guys that I like to look at Google Earth, you know, where are we going? Oh, we're going to a place that hasn't been hunted in seven years. I was like, okay, so part of me was like, kind of eyebrow went up like, hmm, okay, that could be really good or that could be really like, bad. Yeah, like, I'm like, well, do you guys scout it? Do you fly it? He goes, no, that's not how we hunt here. And he goes, we used to kill rams there seven years ago. I was like, well, yeah, I used to elk hunt in places seven years ago. I don't now because there's no elk. Like, you know, it's like, so it kind of started off on that foot. And, um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be a bearer of crap news on this podcast, but I'll, I'll paraphrase basically my, my trip. I, I have it journaled and I'm pretty anal about how I journal stuff, but um, we hunted for eight days because we got weathered out of two of a 10-day hunt. I paid for a 14-day hunt. I got to hunt eight days. Did not see a legal ram. Um, got pulled off the mountain early because of weather, and then we stayed basically two days in a cabin when I could have been up on the mountain hunting. And um, just didn't have the experience that I was expecting, one. And um, B, you just kind of feel like you get treated like a, like a second-class citizen like coming back into camp after eight nine days after eating junk not showering didn't get offered a hot meal didn't get offered a shower i had left clothes in a roll top bag clean set of clothes with my arrows my sunglasses there couldn't find that stuff disappeared i'm like how does that even happen how does that happen so I, I get flown back to the lake that we connected at, and I'm in my hunting gear, right, and that I've been in for 10 days. And it just, you know, to that end, I mean, it, it was, I had very high expectations, and everything that happened in between, there was a lot that happened in between that I, I won't really disclose some of that, because it's, it's stuff that, I mean, it, it, makes me really frustrated the way some of the things were handled but you know in general it's like you know what i hunt because it's a hobby and i love it right i don't hunt because it's my job it's not my livelihood i'm not out there grinding every day to try to find people a legal animal like i hunt because i love it and, and it's fun but that's the key thing is it's got to be fun and when the element of fun comes out of it i hit my wall man a couple times and and i'll tell you i i got i got super like emotional and I, I broke down a couple times on that hunt not like sobbing crying but I was laying there just in my mind with the, these splitting headaches like this isn't what I came to do you know I didn't I didn't come here to, to, to basically walk 84 miles in someone else's shoes and not see a damn animal like that that isn't what that experience was that I was looking for, well, and it and, and it hit me hard. Well, what you're bringing up is a really good point, right? And and what you're saying is, it's your passion, it's your hobby, it's something that you love to do. And you're going out, you're investing time and money into your gear and traveling around to these different places, going on, you know, whatever hunt it may be. You're not paying for an experience I mean exactly what you said in someone else's boots yeah and yes hunts can be tedious and hunts can be frustrating and hunts can be 
I mean, that's part of the love of the hunt. But Absolutely. I, but I think when you're when you get to what you're speaking to, when you're wearing shoes that are too big and don't fit your feet, and you're not in your gear, and you're not in everything is off. Your rhythm is off. Your thought Correct. processes are off. Every response that we have as a human for what we've prepared for with our preferred outline blanket, right? Like that's our safety net. Yeah. It's the gear that we have that goes in our pack and we know what fits and we know how we can do all this and manage everything. And then it's like, boom, 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 boom. Well, then it, it, your feet are fucked. Every, your, your shoulders first are fucked. Climb, yeah. First climb, I had blisters on my heels. Yeah, man. So then I'm moleskin and then I'm, I'm, every time we sit in glass, I'm taking my boots off and let my feet like, that doesn't happen in my boots, right? It doesn't, you know, so, yeah, I mean, everything about this hunt changed the minute that my bag didn't show up in Whitehorse. It's crazy. The whole game changed at that point. You well, know, and there's two things you can do. You can put your head down and say, I'm not going to do it, or you can saddle up and say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can. and With what I got. With what I got. And that's what you did, though. Right? And, you know, and... and in a little time lapse, the first the first climb we did, we did eight and a half miles the first day, and most of no northern BC. I mean, everything is just big, steep valleys with alpine, and then you've got you know high above alpine, and, and we're in five to six thousand feet. We're not in serious elevation, but you get up into that five six thousand feet into that open, just kind of you know. The, the, terra, the area where the sheep are. I mean, there's scree, there's shale. I mean, it, it, but once you get above Alpine, it's a beautiful place to be. Oh, yeah. But getting up there, that first climb was pretty tough on me. And, and I, I labeled my first day in my journal the climb and grind because that's exactly what it was for me. I, I was struggling with those boots. But, you know, we went, we went four days and didn't see a ram, yeah. which, hey, that's hunting, right? We also spent a day and a half hiking in a hunting territory we couldn't even hunt in. I had an issue with that because we got dropped at the south end of, of our outfitter's um, guide territory. And all of that bordered another guide territory that was what the sheep country was. So we're going up, and I'm glassing, and my guide's like, quit looking over there. I'm like, why? He goes, we can't hunt that. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, why are we here? Like. Why didn't we get dropped off somewhere where we could make the climb and hunt? Like, yeah. day and a half, blown. We had that experience at Toshodi when we were up there. We we go out on these long 12, 12 hour horseback days, and we get to some spots and we're glassing for sheep. Can't find any, and then we all, you know, turn over to this middle mountain range that the that the river or the Toshodi, you know, it, it kind of juts into Toshodi's area and. You'd start looking at that mountain. There's a ram. There's use. There's more ram. There's a band of rams. Like, and you're just looking at sheep, and it's like you can't do anything about it. You just, yeah. You know. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah. So I mean, we we grinded and grinded and grinded. God, put in fun. eight to ten mile days. Break camp every day. It's like there were places I just wanted to sit and like leave camp for two or three days and just glass. And it was, but it was always like. We got to get to this next point. We got to get to here. We got to get to here. So it's breaking camp every morning, putting 75 pounds on your back, doing 10 miles. By the middle of the day, you'd stop, set your camp up, go glass, see nothing. Next morning, same thing, break your camp down. It's, it just got to be this repetitive, like, 
And I asked my guide, I said, are, are we just going on a hike in the mountains? And uh, he took it personal. He goes, you know, this outfitter, he wants his clients to kill rams. Like, he he will put his people in the right positions to kill rams. Like, we don't take people on hikes in the mountains. And, like, in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going on a hike in the mountains. Like, we're not seeing stuff. So, finally, we made a decision to um, basically get out of this general area we were in. And we did a 13-mile day. And we got back into some country where we actually started seeing some sheep. The problem with this was is we had five days left to hunt. We'd already burned five of the days doing what we did. Well, those five days turned into three days because after the third day, we started getting, I mean, pretty substantial weather. And um, the outfitter made the call to, to get us off the mountain where, which I get weather and weather changes, it's like, it's Idaho, it's Alaska. If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, right? I mean, Northern BC is no different. You know, we woke up to snow one morning on our tents and it, and it melted off, but we woke up to snow one morning, um, you know, up there. And so it, it weather is weather, but if it's bad where we're at, he's not gonna be able to fly in anyway, right? So I'm thinking, why are we gonna go sit in a cabin if he can't even get to us, I'll go sit in my tent in the rain. At least I'm on the mountain. At least I got a chance, right? The ram could walk by. I mean, we had, I showed you guys some videos. We had a ram in our camp one night, 238 yards. Yeah. You know, I could have easily stocked him in with my bow and probably got an opportunity, but he was a five-year-old ram, you know? And so, you know, it, it, it just... Again, it wasn't the experience that I dreamed of and thought of, and, and maybe part of that's what let me down. And again, and then there were just a lot of other extenuating circumstances around the hunt, things that um, I probably won't share on the podcast that, yeah, that's fine. that just really, really soured the experience. Yeah. You know, just, I mean, communication issues and just a lot of things that, that are just, you know, I wouldn't say it's borderline unethical stuff, but there were some things that, you know, I would, I would highly consider writing a letter to the Guide and Outfitters Association of BC on, because there were just things that were, I mean, not acceptable in my opinion. And I guide in California too, and yeah. you know, and I think about the position that I put hunters in. We took, we took an elk hunter this year, and he shot a great bull. And that was I also a stunner I, of a bull too. Yeah, and I also that was spent. Amazing. I also spent three days a week scouting and naming nine different bulls and showing him all these bulls and saying, hey, here's the bulls we're going to hunt. Like, which one do you like? I like these couple. Great. Let's go find them. And the one he shot wasn't one of the top three, but he had the opportunity. He made the shot. He made an 82-yard shot right through the heart. I mean, he made a great shot. But the reality was is as a guy, we have, in my opinion, and this is how I think, we have that responsibility to give someone those opportunities and experience, right? Well, and if a guy hires you to do that and you take him in and he doesn't show you one elk that he wants to shoot or he doesn't have an opportunity. Or call it a legal. Quite honestly, that's yeah. on me. Call it a legal bull. He doesn't show you a branch antler bull. Yeah. You know, on a 15-day on a hunt. That's, 
That's not that's not what you signed up for. That's on me at that's that point. That's on the guy. That's on yeah, me I, as the guy, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I'll agree with that. Now, you get him on three different bowls, he misses twice. I mean, that that's he had the opportunity, right? I would even, or he cripples I would even one. Say, I would even say if you get him on one one legal yeah. and he passes it or misses the shot, either yeah. one. Yeah. That's still that's that is the guy's job. Get him on a legal good animal. Yeah. And let the hunter decide. Correct. You know. Yeah. So, and I understand the sheep game is different, you know, but I also know the guys that guide for sheep in the States, they do a lot of scouting. They fly. And my outfitter was a pilot. You know, I mean, just all this stuff. I mean. Well, I would think if he's taking you to an area that hasn't been hunted in seven years, I would have assumed, especially if he's a pilot, that he would have gone through that area and checked it out kind of gotten a good idea of what's going on where to go right yeah here was the other concern i had is my guide nothing against my guide he was i enjoyed him he's a young kid he's he's got a he's got a lot of he's got a lot of runway in front of him but he'd never been in this area either so now you're sticking three people the hunter the packer and the guide into an area that no one knows where we're going. Now we had topo maps, but okay. It's one thing to have maps and never been in there. It's one thing to be in there and know where to go and know where you've seen rams before, know where the camping spots are, right? Know where you want to push to. Like all that stuff gives you more opportunity because you're not, there were days where we, well, we like were- you got sent on the scouting trip. Well, I felt, that's how I felt, Yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so, that. You know, long story short, you know, we ended up back at the cabin, and, and uh, which was nice. We had a cabin, and we spent a couple days there, and we were really low on food, just rationed what we had, and told stories, played cards, hung out. I mean, and then my outfitter was finally able to come get me and uh, pulled me out, extracted me, got me back to camp. I was in a mad panic trying to find my clean clothes trying to figure out my flights. I was in reach of my brother. Hey, I might need to book my flight. Can you check Wednesday versus Tuesday? I was supposed to actually be out of there the day before. Just And then the, the guide came back with my packer and the guide. And he goes, hey, we got to go get in the charter plane. We're going to take everyone back to the lake that we had dropped into where we started. So we all got on the plane, took us back over, basically like, here's the football. Have a great day, guys. Yeah. All right. Back in the truck, four hours back to Whitehorse. Just like, just so frustrated. No debrief, no conversation. How did it go? Nothing. Just to literally drop the football and Later, right out guys. the window. Yeah, I mean, so. What's, what's funny to me in this whole entire situation, because you and I are having daily comms as your adventure is unfolding. And while all this is going on, I text you and I'm like, you're telling me you're not sure if you're gonna be able to make it. I'm telling you, if you need to extend your trip, extend your trip, stay longer. You threw that out to me. Yeah. And I wasn't even there until you sent me that message. Yeah. And then my, my, my mind started going. Yeah. Because you, you know, you're like, if you have this hunt, you stay and you do that. Yeah, if you have the you opportunity find. to stay, you finish the, I mean, and you stay. 
skip skip Kyrgyzstan, you could do that ten years in a row. Yeah. You know, you I mean, twenty years in a row. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, but you stay on your stone sheet, man. You know, and and that I, was what I was getting at. And I asked for like, those extra four days. Yeah. And I didn't get them. I yeah. got declined. Yeah. And there's more behind that story, and there's more conversation and yeah. messages that happened that, that I won't share, but I had asked my outfitter to talk, I'd asked my guy to talk to the outfitter and say, hey, I'm at a point right now, we can extend it four more days, the true 14-day hunt I paid for yeah. versus the 10 that I got, nine and a half, really, and um, I got denied. So, you know, so at that point when we knew I couldn't hunt the extra four days, it was like, boys, we got to, we got to get after it, like, get your binoculars on your eyes yeah. and let's scan every single thing a thousand times yeah. and then that thousand and one time that those rams pop. I mean it's amazing how you look at a something so long and you take a break your eyes get tired you take a snoozer for five minutes come back up look up and like oh there's sheep there like yeah. they just appear you know you got to be on it in that country because they do they just appear but yeah it that didn't even cross my mind until you sent me that message and uh and it got my brain going, and I started getting excited, thinking, okay, I got more time, and then and we got shot and down. And then we didn't. Yeah. So the reality was is I felt like I had my money, get them in, get them out. This is our last year of our five-year allocation. We'll get more new permits next year. Let's get them all done, get them through. Do, you know, yeah. it wasn't about, wasn't about taking care of your client and making sure that they had, they had an opportunity to sheep it was get them in get them out that's how i felt that's how i took it right and um for a, like i say a hundred of that magnitude which you pay for that that's not how you treat people yeah you know you don't treat clients like that you know you give them an honest opportunity and if they don't have it you sit down with them and say okay i talked to my guide i understood that you didn't have an opportunity you didn't see a legal ram what can we work on? What can we do to maybe get you back or get you, get you a ram? You know, I mean, people can't. Most people can't just go afford to pay a full price and not see something and just keep coming back every time. I mean, at some point it's like, hey, I paid the price. You know, we didn't see one. That happens. That's hunting. But afford a guy an opportunity to come back, right? And try it again. And give it another shot. Figure you know? something. Do something. You know. Yeah. Completely. So. And what's crazy is while all that's going on, I'm down in Louisiana. Yeah, your world. I didn't even know because I'm, uh, I'm cut off from the world. Yeah, you're completely cut off. So you have no idea what's going on until I text you. And you I sent like, me a message. You said basically, hey, I'm in a Category 4 hurricane. Wish me luck. And I was like, what the hell is going <laughs> on in the world right now? Because, you know, you've been in sheep country yeah. multiple places, not yeah. only in B.C., you get cut off from the world. Yeah, there's no... And that's the best part about it. Yeah. Is you don't have Google. You don't have Facebook. You don't have Instagram. Yeah. You have an in-reach that you can send 160-character text message to, and it's got to be short. Mm-hmm. So that's the beauty of that type of hunting. Though. Right. So... Yeah, man, that was... That was gnarly, dude. That, that, whole, that whole situation down there was just absolutely insane that storm started blowing in and at first it was like all right you know it's going to be another whatever not, yeah not a bad deal 
High winds, high, rain. High winds, rain. Yeah. It blows over, everything's fine. And, you know, Friday it started escalating. Halfway through Saturday, it was like pandemonium and panic. Everybody that I know personally that lives in Louisiana is texting me, you need to get the fuck out of the state. You need to evacuate. Yeah. You know, and, and we had just sold my girlfriend's car right before that. So we had no vehicle. And it was like, well, we're just going to, you know, shut And you guys are like in the heart of New Orleans we're, then? Yeah, like, we're in the French Quarter. Wow. So, you know, I bomb-proofed the house, shutter all the windows, nail and screw everything shut. And get, pretty much get us locked down and ready for whatever's going to happen. We ended up going over to a, her boss's house and sitting there just because it's a little bit of a bigger space, you know, yeah. gas stove instead of an electric stove, stuff gotcha. like that. And the storm hits, and it's not, it wasn't even, like, it was bad, I guess. It was a Category 4 hurricane. Yeah. You know, that's pretty bad. But what was it, Irma? Uh, Ida. Ida. Hurricane okay. Ida, yeah. And... I'm kind of just like, I don't really know how to react to this. You know, is this that crazy? Is this not like, is everybody I know blowing this out of proportion? And then I start thinking about like, my biggest concern is the only thing I care about is that my flight is still leaving New Orleans on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Because if my flight's not leaving New Orleans Wednesday morning, we got a problem. I got a fucking very big problem. Yep. Yep. Going on my first serious bucket list hunt of my life. Yep. This is like the first hunt for me where I ever was like two Ibex and a Marco Polo. I'm not hunting a Marco Polo. We talked about that. We'll come back for that. We'll come back for that. Yeah. But that's part two. That's part two, definitely. But this is the first part of that bucket list getting getting knocked off. I was listening to an old podcast I did with Mike Burrell and he was one of the founders of the California Wild Sheep Foundation and him and I are going back and forth and in that podcast I was like, yeah, my dream hunt is two Ibex and a Marco Polo and I'm sitting in a man's house who's completed a world slam looking at all of his Ibex and all of his, you know, Marco Polo or Altair Gollies, you know, you name it, he's got it. And uh, it's super interesting to hear that, because I forgot that I had even talked about it on that episode. But so I'm worried that, okay, you know, and I, I told my girl, I was like, if I'm, I'm going to miss this flight, like, we need to leave. And I talked to a few folks that are locals, and they were like, the airport will be up and running. Don't worry about it. All right, cool. So anyways, we stay, we stick out the storm. And periodically through the whole day, we open the front door, we're running around in the street, raining wind. You know, there's this little pigeon. Dude, the, this pigeon had found this little spot on a roof where the wind must not have been going. And it rode the entire storm out in this one little spot. Wow. Torn and tattered bird across the street. I should have took a picture of it. I didn't. Wow. Anyways, 
Um, we ride the storm out. The power goes out about 6 p.m. Then around 8 p.m. we start getting flash flood warnings. The water pumps in downtown are out. And then it's like, okay, now this is getting serious. Yeah. Now this is getting Let's get real. Yeah, and everybody's of the opinion out there, like, the power doesn't go out in the quarter for more than, like, an hour or two. You know, and, and we're getting four or five hours into the power being out. There's sirens going off somewhere in the city that we can hear. Yeah, storm sirens. Yeah, dude, it's, it's getting pretty gnarly out. And finally, it all passes. It starts mellowing out. We wake up the next morning. You know, it's sunny out, we're walking around, we go check out the damage. There's very, very little damage throughout the entire city. It's funny, there was a awning that got blown off a second story, and everybody was reporting it on CNN like a fucking roof flew off the building. Of course. And Communist News Network. Yeah, well, you know what's so weird to me is how they're covering all this damage of New Orleans like it's a major catastrophe. And the damage in New Orleans was so minimal compared to Homa or any of the other areas that got directly smashed, yeah. man. Like, when we evacuated out on Tuesday, um, the areas we drove through, and I'm talking football field long sections of pines, chopped in half. Level. Just, you know, 10 feet up, cut in half every single tree. I've never seen nature, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Like there was serious catastrophic damage and they aren't even reporting that shit. And that really pisses me off. Like I don't understand yeah. what, you know, go to where it's really hurting. You know, go to where they're really affected and where damage really is. Stop sensationalizing fucking New Orleans. Um, but when we, so we woke up the next day, we found out the power was gonna be out for, you know, three weeks to a month. And I looked at my girlfriend and I told her, I was like, we gotta get out. I was like, I understand maybe you wanna stay. You can't go to work, there's nothing to do. Yeah. People are gonna run out of water. People are gonna run out of cold food that they have refrigerated. People are gonna run out of electricity, batteries that they've had saved up, everything. And in five days, the city is going to be it's turned upside down. It's going to be a mess. Yeah, power doesn't come back on. Like, you're looking at some real third world shit. Yeah. And so, I got a hold of my buddy. He called his travel agent, got us a booked car in Shreveport, which is a five and a half hour drive. He drove from Baton Rouge, came down, picked us up, and drove us to Shreveport, so it's an hour and a half to us, and then five and a half hours up to, Sh to Shreveport. Dropped us off the car. I rebooked my flights out of Nashville. We drove up to Nashville from there, which was another eight hours. Oh, and that's where your girlfriend's from, right? Yeah, that's so, where, that's that's her originated. Which is probably a good thing, because you know, yeah. she's got family and stuff there. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't... Super handy. Yeah. You know, we got in at midnight, and woke up the next morning, and. You and I are still texting, and because you were you were at a point you weren't sure if you were going to make it out in time to get back to California. Correct. So we were both kind of in this same game of like, are we going to make this hunt? I know. Is one of us not? Is one you know? Because yeah. there was a point where I was like, all right, we're both going, 
and then it was forces of nature that were keeping us Correct. from actually being able to make it. And now, like, I remember hearing... Out of our control at that point, yeah, right? Whether it was weather for you, controlling the plane, whether or not you needed to fly out of yep. camp. And obviously it was weather for me, because it yeah. was like an hurricane. whole different magnitude of weather. Yeah. But... So you guys get to Nashville. We got to Nashville, hung out for the day. My flight, I'm talking to you, and I was like, cool, let's book a hotel. I'll see you at LAX tonight at 8.45. Rendezvous. Justin's in on this. We have a group text going for the whole deal. That's right. And uh, going through it, and then I'm like, wait, my flight got delayed. Ten minutes later, another delay. Ten minutes later, another delay. Oh, you just kept sending updates every ten minutes. Yeah, it's nonstop. And I'm thinking, uh, as I'm battling my whole other issue at LAX, you're just trying to get there. And I haven't even got there yet. Yeah. So I didn't even end up getting into my hotel last night until 2 in the morning, which kind of threw a wrench in our plans because yesterday was supposed to be our 24 hours downtime, all our chores, getting everything done. Sleep, rest, yeah. And anything other odds and ends that needed to get squared away, making sure we had the gear, whatever it was. Padlocks for ammo, you know, just details. <laughs> just small, minor details. <laughs> oh. So I made it in, and when I got in, I booked at the Courtyard Marriott. I didn't know there were three Marriott's next to the, next to the airport. So I jumped on the only Marriott bus that I saw, and they ended up taking me a mile and a half down the street. So I had to walk all the way back to the other hotel. That was just, that was a whole other part of my story. Right in the heart of LAX. Yeah, not drilling to walk through there. 1.30, 2 a.m. Thinking you're in Compton or something. Yeah, I'm not in Compton. I, I lived down there for a while, so I kind of know. straight out of Compton. <laughs> I thought it was low cash. Huh. Yeah, I mean you're 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 battling that battle, and here I get back Tuesday, and um, what happened? So I I finally get out of um, I get to Whitehorse Monday night. Meet a good friend of mine there who was heading to Bonaplume to do his doll sheep hunt. How cool is that? That's a dream hunt for me. Yeah. There in Ravensbrook. Yeah. yeah. So I got to see my buddy Dennis. Um, we had dinner. We hung out. Um, his rifle, he was coming from Ohio. His rifle didn't make it. His rifle was still in Vancouver as we're in Whitehorse. Ugh. And I'm just like, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, I'm already seeing this happen. Like, he's got all his gear mostly, but he doesn't have his rifle, right? So next morning, wake up. Him and I went and had breakfast and wished him luck, and he left with his group, and then I headed to the airport. So I had to Whitehorse and check my two bags that I have now. I have both my bags at this point. The bag that I didn't get with all my gear ended up showing up at camp four days later, which was then told they were going to airdrop my boots and a few other things I requested, my trekking poles, and that never happened. So I was, you know, left out there with the the loner, the loner gear. Um, so so I'm did a, you never get any of your gear? None. The whole hunt? No, oh, they shit. never airdropped it. Which is so simple. I mean, that's literally fly over, kick the window, door open, drop it, go get it, right? I mean, it's not that hard to do that. And I even told them I'll pay 
whatever your fee is for an airdrop, I'll pay it. Yeah. Like, I want my boots. Like, give me my boots. Anyway, so I get to the airport, check my bags, get on the plane, land in Vancouver. Same deal in Vancouver. Get randomly selected for another COVID test and have to <clears throat> go and get my bags. So I go to get my bags and I realize, okay, my big taku bag is there with all the stuff that I didn't have on the first hunt. But then I realized that my oversized bag with my bow and my camo and other stuff wasn't there. So I go to claims, baggage claims, and I submit a claim. Oh yeah, your bag's still in Whitehorse. I'm like, how does that happen? I got on the plane, first leg of the flight. I can see missing a connection and missing a bag. But it not getting on the plane from your first portal of entry in Whitehorse, which is a airport smaller than, um, I don't know, I say San Luis Obispo. I mean, it's a small airport, right? So frustrated. So I missed my connecting flight. I get on another flight out of Vancouver into L.A., and I get in at 1130. Of course, no bag. Wednesday rolls around. Call Air Canada. Wait on hold for two hours. Nothing. Go to the airport. Get my information. Oh, yeah, sir, your bag will be on flight 556. It'll be coming in. Okay, great. Drive to the airport Wednesday night. No bag. So then I'm starting to get, you know, a little hot. Thursday rolls around. I'm like, okay, today's the day. It's going to come in. There's five flights a day from Vancouver to L.A., and today I go and no bag. Twice you went. Yeah. Two different flights coming in. No bag. So we left with none of your gear. We left with, so thank the good Lord for great people. Yeah. That's all I can say because Brian Olson, who's a very good friend of yours and, and one that I've met one other time and have talked to a lot but haven't really spent a lot of time around Shows up, drives up from his house, loads the back of his truck full of gear, and basically yard sales it on the ground and says, take whatever you want and use whatever you want. And I got all the gear I needed, you know, to do the hunt. Now, this time around, I got my boots with me, so I learned from that lesson, but don't have my bow, don't have a lot of my other equipment, but you know what? We'll make it work. I got, I got camo, I got gear, I got boots. We're here, you know, and I think of all the adversity we've been through in the last whatever, and <laughs> in all you can really week. do now is look back on it and laugh, on it, quite honestly, Yeah. because if I look back on it and get pissed, it just frustrates me, and it, you know, in two years, my mom put it this way the best, and this is why I love my mom, because she always puts things into context. She goes, honey, it's not going to matter in 100 years anyway, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, in 100 years, no one's going to really care that I went sheep hunting and didn't kill a sheep. Like, I'm not going to be around. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So you just you got to look at that stuff in the rearview mirror and say, you know what? Learn from it. Makes us better. And what do we do moving forward, right? And I could have easily said, I, I'm not doing this hunt. I'm burned out. And I told you that. I'm stressed. I'm burned out. But I also knew this was the best thing for me to come do. Yeah to go with you guys, my friends, and have a good time. And I know we're going to have a good time. And I know we're going to lace, we're going to ground check some, some animals, so. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. So, that's probably the cliff note version of my last couple weeks. Yeah. 
in a nutshell. You yeah. know, I'm healthy. I'm here. I'm alive. You know, it's kind of hard to compete with that. You're ready to go. So, Justin, for you, this is your first crazy-ass hunt. I think so. I think so. The first, uh, second international hunt for me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked to be here with you guys. Get to capture it all on film and capture you guys in your element. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Heck yeah. Did you ever think you were going to be going to Kyrgyzstan? Never. Never in my life, man. Uh-huh. Never in my life till I met you guys. And it's, uh, it's been a blessing for sure. It's going to be fun. I mean, when we, I'm, so I'm going to take us back eight months ago when yeah, we were all talking about this, right? When we kind of approached you about it and we told you we're going to go on, I, like, what, did you know what an Ibex was? Did you know, like, did you have some context of what you were going to be getting into? Or were you just like, I know, because I know you're like, give me a couple days. I need to comb this out with work. But you were in from the start. But did you kind of know what you were going to get into? Um, Not to this extent, no. I, uh. Like I said, never done anything like this except for New Zealand, hunted tar for myself, and filmed the uh, red stag hunt out there a couple of years back. But, uh, but yeah, any adventure, um, anything to this extent, uh, if I can, uh, if I can swing it with work, man, I'm, uh, I'm all in. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. I knew what an ibex was to begin with. Always wanted to go on a sheep slash goat hunt, and uh, this is as close as we can get to my first one. No question. I mean. We're going to be high altitude. We're going to be in some pretty rugged mountains. We're going to have all different types of weather. You know, we're on the same. Essentially, Kyrgyzstan is on a very similar parallel as the U.S. So, temperature-wise, you know, we're we're on that we're on that parallel. So it's going to be September weather. It's just we're going to be at 12 to 13,000 feet, right? So they Anything say can happen at 12 to 13, they say every every right. thousand feet you can you can knock one to two degrees potentially every every thousand feet you go up. So you know we could be in the teens and twenties at night and the forties and fifties during the day. I mean who knows, right? But you know we kind of chose these dates in September one because I wanted archery hunt because the weather's not as you know bad, but too a lot of times the billies are banded up and, and they're much higher and and uh before the hunters start coming in and really breaking them up um you know we we also get a first crack at them too which i kind of like that you know i kind of like the thought of you know being the one that busts up the all the you know the billies and and finding some hopefully some pretty good billies i'm you so know. excited <laughs> i just it's gonna be rad if, i don't know i've, I've held I've held a, an Ibex, as a Beezer Ibex, but I've held one before. And feeling their horns and how they roll like they do and the lumps on them as they go back and then you get back to their tips, mm-hmm. how cool those animals are. It, it just, it's crazy to think that we're going to have potentially the opportunity to be doing this and holding some world-class mid-Asian Ibex in our hands. Because where we're going is... We specifically pick this area, the Ishikul, because this holds the biggest ibex in the world. It doesn't have Marco Polo sheep there. If you do the combo, you go where they got good Marco Polos, but they've got okay ibex. Yeah. We're going where there's really good ibex, like some of the best mid Asians in the world. Yeah. I'm stoked, man. I can't believe it. Not and one, but two each. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, we yeah. have the opportunity, you know. And 
I, I'll be the first to say I'm not a trophy guy. I don't, I don't need to shoot the biggest one in the group. That's not who I am. It's about the experience. But if we can go to an area where we can shoot some very respectable, good quality, you know, 48 to 50 inch ibex i mean why the hell not yeah you know and if there's a 54 inch ibex in there yeah he's probably going to get he's probably going to get shot he's going to get a walk you know is it trophy hunting I, I don't know i think it's just taking a mature animal you know at his at his prime that's what it is to me yeah. you know i'm also not going to go home if i had the opportunity without an animal that's why i don't consider it trophy hunting you know because yeah. i won't eat my tag if i have an opportunity you know, something's going to die. So, super stoked. I just, I think we're very fortunate to be doing this. And by good grace and a lot of other things, we're here. And all that other stuff, as much interference and distraction as it was, right now it really doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. I mean, I hope my bow shows up and I don't have to replace <laughs> it. But right now, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. So... Well, and that's kind of the biggest part of it, too, you know, and overcoming that. I mean, I know for me, I would be super wrapped up in my gear and whether or not it's going to be there and will it be there when I get back and the whole thing of it. And something that I've learned is, like, having the ability to be able to just let that go and then move on to whatever the next experience is and just... All right, man, that was a punch. Water off a duck's back, man. Keep yeah. going forward, you know, and, and... You're good at that, man. I, I, That's one thing I've learned from you is, is having that because I get really wrapped up in the situation, mm-hmm. and you have that ability to let that slide off your back, and it's something that I need to be better about. It's only because I've been through hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. But for me, being with you guys helps me because... I'd still be a miserable F if I was, like, by myself and didn't have my stuff. Oh, if you went home, dude, if you went home and skipped out on this, like, I couldn't imagine the own doom and gloom. Because I know for myself, if I were to do that, like, what I would create in my head and the world of terror... Well, knowing what you guys hard, are doing and we're yeah. not I'm not there, yeah. And then and how hard I would be on myself. I could only imagine what that would be like for you being in that position. You know, obviously because we're hunters and because of how we are in our mindset, we're gonna be ten times harder on ourselves over it than if it were something else. Correct. You know? Yeah. So it's just the kind of people that we are, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> who we are it's what we are and we're at the age now where you ain't going to change it you yeah. know it's just that's who we are and, but that's what's beautiful about it too it is i can't wait to see the country man the video that alex sent us today of the right above camp yeah above camp pretty amazing band of like 65 70 billies or whatever yeah it's ridiculous you can't beat that and then not only that but the views from where we're staying or from base camp is just unreal and you look up and you're like all right we're here we're in it yeah you yep. know yeah but just a little bit about the trip when you talk about logistics it's there's a lot of logistics that go into these trips mm-hmm. you know i flew i flew on four different planes to get to where i got on my sheep hunt yeah. we will have flown on two different planes 
a long car ride and potentially horseback just to get to where we're going to be, you know. Yep. And uh, I was trying to explain to the people at Air Canada, they're like, well, we'll just have your bag routed to wherever you're going to go in Bishkek. I'm like, you don't understand. They don't deliver bags to where we're going. Like, people don't understand, right? It's not like I'm going there and I'm going to be at a Marriott. City. Yeah, yeah, sitting at the beach. No, this is different. We're and, taking uh, a 13-hour car ride after we land. 26-hour portal to portal. Yeah. yeah. And then, again, potentially having the another potential horseback ride to get to where we're going to be hunting so yeah it's but most people look at that and say that's what you do take on vacation like yeah that's my vacation that's vacation that's my vacation yeah don't get me wrong i like sitting on cabo on the beach and having a margarita but there's a time and a place for that yeah. and it's not in september no. <laughs> it's not in september nothing in september october or november and even no. august no no that's our that's our time I mean, this year was the first year I missed California archery season in 13 years, probably. Yeah. You know, that's rough. Yeah. But there's so much other stuff going on right now that... Well, you got the total archery deals. You do all that now, and you get... All that stuff happens during RA zone, you know, and so, you, yeah, you just fill the voids, you yeah. know, something different. Still get to cook deer legs, yeah. right? That's handy. <laughs> Yeah. Feed the masses, change hearts and minds. Yeah, well, I guess we'll call that a wrap, man. It's not bad for being on an airplane. Yeah, it's loud as fuck. This is the first podcast I've ever done on an airplane. Me too. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Justin, you were saying something about the Mile High Club earlier. Yeah. You have you joined it? Or? I've joined. You, you've joined? I've joined. Wow. That's a big bathroom up there. Missing out. Sure do got a pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you skiing in your sleeping bag. Try to keep an eye on it. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to You're check us idol. out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.